The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, Brexit is back on the agenda in a big way. Two big moves from the government signalled over the weekend. Boris Johnson significantly ramped up the rhetoric around no deal. He's threatening to walk away from the negotiating table rather than accept an agreement that compromises on what he sees as the core principles of Brexit. Number 10 has set a deadline now of October the 15th for reaching a deal. So it's all closing in. At the end, at the same time, we've got the government planning a new law to dilute the legal force of the withdrawal agreement if outstanding issues on Northern Ireland can't be resolved. The Environment Secretary, George Eustace, has denied moving the goalposts, but London Mayor Sadiq Khan isn't convinced and says it wouldn't set a good example. You can't reach an agreement with somebody and then a few months later break the agreement, because otherwise, why should other parties, other countries around the world have any confidence when they do a deal with you as a government, you're going to abide by the deal. Well, that was Sadiq Khan, London Mayor. Well, joining us now, I'm very pleased to say, is Steve Bryan, Conservative MP for Winchester. Steve, welcome to the programme. Thank you for being with us. Um, now, you had the whip temporarily removed, I think, last year for supporting a law that aimed to prevent a no-deal Brexit. The government, in some ways, does seem to be moving back towards that. And do you think, on this particular issue about the withdrawal agreement, that going back on what is, as Sadiq Khan said, an international agreement, a step too far? Thank you for reminding me of that happy time in my life. Um, I, I would say that I think it, this is pure negotiation. Uh, you know, we, we have to have an agreement with our, with our friends across the pond by the 15th of October if it's going to be enforced by the end of this year, bearing in mind what needs to happen there and here, possibly even in regional parliaments. So... You know, I know everybody is saying, oh, well, we should, well, our opponents are saying, well, we should just extend again. Um, but, you know, we've been talking intensively uh, all year. We've been talking intensively all summer. And, you know, we've reached an impasse. And we're now entering what's known as the tunnel, uh, the negotiation tunnel, when, you know, it really is um, feet to the fire. And what the prime minister is seeking to do here, I think, is put his put their feet to the fire. And, of course, he can do that in a way that Theresa May couldn't, because they know that when he says something, he has the ability to carry it out. It's not that Theresa May didn't mean it when she said it, it's just that the House of Commons is is the key card in our system. Always has been, always will be. And if you can control the House of Commons, you can control the agenda. So, so he can carry it out, but will he, Steve? I mean, this is a big move to go and edit, essentially, an agreement that's already been decided between two parties. 
Yes. And, and of course, this agreement, as I predicted, uh, I think on your show, is remarkably similar to the one that Theresa May negotiated and uh, then the Prime Minister accepted. He never liked the Northern Ireland Protocol. He said that it breaks up our country. And, you know, so, so therefore, I guess he is, has every right to threaten to change that if he feels that it's going to do that. And, you know, no parliament can bind its successor. Will he do it? I think that, you know, you genuinely don't know because I genuinely don't think that we are there yet. I think that this will come down, because it always does, it's a negotiation, it will come down to the final hurdle. And we will see whether the EU is prepared to recognise that we, like Canada, like South Korea, like other countries that the EU has trade deals with, we are a separate, independent, sovereign country. Our country voted for that. Well, I, I personally didn't. But, but you know, democracy, democracy won the day, and our country voted for us to be a sovereign, independent country, and the EU needs to recognise that. I, my, you know, I'm not close to the negotiations, but my understanding from talking to, to colleagues is that they still seem to basically treat us as a supplicant. They treat us as as if we are still part of their club, and we're not. And I think they need to get with that. And, and, if, and if Michel Barnier won't do that, then I think there is increasing frustration in the European capitals of, of his intransigence on it. And, you know, if he wants to test Boris Johnson's mettle, as I know, as you reminded me at the start of the programme, well, with an eye on that, Steve, and the fact, you know, you have uh, taken some very public positions on this in the past, if there is a bill that goes to, to try to uh, perhaps change the withdrawal agreement, would you give it your support? Would you go into the lobby in support of such a bill? Well, I, I never promised my support for legislation before I read the legislation. Call me old-fashioned. Um, you know, I, I, don't even, I haven't even seen the... the this new internal market bill and finance bill um, that, that, that is suggested it's going to clarify some elements that withdrawal agreement. I, I haven't even seen that yet. It hasn't even been published yet. There's a huge amount of speculation in the press, but it's definitely coordinated and planned speculation from the government. If you look at the way that it was briefed out in the Sunday newspapers and the way that people have been talking about it on the media around this morning. So, you know, I, 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 would, have to, I would have to see it, of course. But, you know, do I want to see frictionless trade between uh, GB and, uh, and the rest of the UK? Yes, of course I do, um, and and I don't I don't want to see barriers to trade because I don't think that's good for the Northern Ireland economy. I don't think it's good for us, and and for the record, I don't think it's good for the EU's economy either. But what if the EU calls Boris Johnson's bluff on this? Then we're heading for no deal, and that's what you sought to prevent in the past. Well. There is, there, is a, there is one, there are a number of very big differences, chaps, of course, to where we were a year ago. One, one of course, is that the government has, has democratic legitimacy now to this. We were very, very clear in the manifesto that we stood on. But, you know, we, we would like a deal, and I genuinely believe that, that this government does want a deal as much as I do. Um, so there's, so there's that. The other thing is, of course, that we're, you know, we're 12 months on, we're 12 months on in preparation. I think that any, any form of, um, any form of deal could well come with a new form of transition period to allow business to take to take time, and and so therefore, you know, I don't think that we are looking at the sort of cliff edge that we were a year ago that so concerned us. And of course, the other thing, uh, the third thing, is that there are no numbers in Parliament um, as there were a year ago. Uh, there is a very comfortable government majority, and this House of Commons has every right to debate and decide on on its own destiny, as did the last House of Commons. 
Steve, do you think that one issue that could, in the end, come out of all this is the future of the union? We know there's huge pushes coming from Scotland now. Uh, OK, they do need Westminster's permission to go ahead with a new referendum on independence. But if if this goes through, if, for example, there is a no-deal Brexit, yeah. then it might become unstoppable. Unquestionably. And people often talk about Scotland, but they also they don't talk about Ireland. You know, there is unquestionably a, a no-deal Brexit with border infrastructure would be a gift to the nationalist community, the nationalist politicians in Northern Ireland. And I think that that is not talked about. As far as Scotland goes, look, I, I understand that the Scottish National Party, the clue is in the name, uh, you know, that is their raison d'etre. They are obsessed to the exclusion of all else with getting another referendum. They had a once in a generation one, but four years ago. Um, but they did say if there was a material change, then the people of Scotland should be given another chance. Their their the big question that they cannot seemingly answer is, you know, would they be better off? What currency would they use? And why would they want to get away from the apparently over-embracing clutch of London to then just walk straight into a clutch with presumably Schengen and the euro as a member of the European Union, from which they'd be an accession state and therefore liable for both of those things? So, you know, there, of course, will be great pressure if there is a no-deal Brexit. But let's not pretend that Brexit is, has, you know, the SNP have only been formed as a result of Brexit. You know, I've been in Parliament since 2010. And there have been SNP MPs in their numbers going up and down. They've gone significantly up in recent years. Uh, this has always been their obsession. Their, their, their obsession is to, to break up the United Kingdom. Uh, this is just the latest chapter in it as far as they're concerned. But the, the, the reality here is that we would be going back on an international treaty and that has certain impacts in law, but also morally. Are you not worried about how this might affect Britain's ability to stand up to countries like China, the crackdown on Hong Kong? There are treaty issues at stake there as well. Well, I mean, if you mentioned China. I, I, I don't think China are a good example of a country that we need to play by the rules in order to impress. Uh, they, they don't recognize the world order. Yes, I am concerned about that. You know, we are a country that is seeking to do trade deals around the world. And, you know, I, I worked in business before I was in Parliament. And I, I, I of course, the, the one, one rule that I would have in people I did business with is, can I trust them? Can I trust them to keep their word? So I think there is a subtlety here to the legislation that the government have briefed out that they will introduce. And the government would have to be very, very clear in explaining to the House of Commons and to, to international partners why that wasn't breaking a, an international treaty. Uh, I've heard other people support of it suggest that it was a nuance to the withdrawal agreement. Well, you know, I'm all ears. Steve, let me ask you, because you, you have been very much from the other side of the aisle, as it were, in terms of the Brexit thing. What do you think of the administration, the handling, really, of the Brexit issue by the Johnson administration so far? I have to say that I think it has it has shown it has shown strength and it has shown resolve. I mean, I look. I came from a different side of the original argument, but you know, I, I'm, I'm not part of this hashtag rejoin obsession. You know, we we have to move on, and the reason why I I'm not coming on your program saying, oh well, you know, the the UK should give way on. Um, on single market or give way on level playing field or give way on fisheries because ultimately if we just if we give way on those things then we may may as well have not have left in the first place which is why i didn't want to leave in the first place but you know we are we are there and so i know i do think that they have been very clear you know the opposition always calling for clarity around the pandemic well they've certainly got clarity from this government in in this particular instance haven't they and you know the government have got to make a success 
of this new relationship. Yeah. And, I, and I, 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 I'm not a disbeliever in Britain. I, but I do believe in our country, and I do think that we can make a, a very good success of this. And my children who've gone back to school this morning, um, you know, I, I predict that when they're my age, they will learn about Brexit as a, as a change in our foreign policy with foreign power. I, I don't believe it will be the, yeah. the making of our country, and I don't believe it will be the end of it either. Uh, I, I think the truth is somewhere in between. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics and Health Secretary Matt Hancock saying his ideal scenario now is going to be for a COVID vaccine to be approved by the end of the year. He says so that early 2021 is a more likely timeline. Still not a whole lot of time to wait, which is months away from early 2021. The government has already agreed to buy 30 million doses of the Oxford vaccine from AstraZeneca. But it comes as virus cases tick sharply higher. The latest government data showing that there were 2,988 new cases in 24 hours over the weekend. That's the highest daily increase since the 22nd of May. And of course, comes after cases went up in France and Spain as well. As a result, Bolton has been put under tougher local lockdown restrictions. The town's infection rate becoming the highest in England. Matt Hancock says it's a worry. The rise in the number of cases is concerning. The cases are predominantly among younger people. But we've seen in other countries across the world and in Europe, this sort of rise in the cases amongst younger people leading to a rise across the population as a whole. Another big story, of course, here in the UK over the weekend was the stabbings in Birmingham. A man's been arrested on suspicion of murder after one person died and seven others were injured in that attack. The West Midlands police said a 27-year-old man was detained at an address in Selly Oak early this morning. The attacks happened at four different locations across the city centre over 90 minutes early on Sunday. Police said the suspect was being questioned in custody. Yeah, it looks uh, not great. And then we've got a group of 40 Conservative MPs, most from Red all seats launching a new levelling up task force to pressure the government to reduce regional inequality. So lots of the people who came into the northern and midland seats that were taken from Labour in the last election comes alongside new research from Onward, the think tank, which found that seats gained by the Conservative last December are on average 5% poorer than Labour held seats and unemployment rates higher as well. Ahead of the budget, the task force then urging the government to set itself three key tests to tackle inequality across the country and conduct a geographical analysis of how tax and spending changes impact different areas. And this is more from the 2019ers, who I think are a really interesting bunch, not least because a couple of months after they got elected, the virus hit. They've barely worked in Westminster and yet they're managing to organise in lots of different ways. So really a group to keep an eye on. Yes, and a fascinating area of the country and seeing which way it goes in terms of its opinions and views. But one big impact of that, of course, is going to be unemployment because another group is lobbying the Chancellor now uh, about the furlough and extending it. It's the manufacturing sector. They want an extension beyond the end of October. Industry group Make UK said almost a third of companies are planning job cuts in the next six months and extending the scheme would avoid a wave of redundancies. Rishi Sunak, of course, has come under some pressure not to end the furlough next month. Germany, for example, running its equivalent programme till the end of next year. France also apparently considering continuing its programme.
yeah, definitely a conversation we're going to hear more and more about. But let's get back to our top story. Let's talk Brexit. Boris Johnson dramatically ramping up his threats to leave the EU without a deal. Uh, the government also preparing a new law to water down the divorce agreement that's already been signed, sealed, all the rest of it, which it reached with the EU just a year ago. So joining us now is Alex de Reuter, director of the Centre for Brexit Studies at Birmingham City University. Alex, this is a weird government. They've made a lot of weird moves along the way. What's the motivation here? What does it strike you as? Well, I mean, the, the UK government certainly wants to talk about preserving the union. So, of course, it's concerned by anything that leads to Northern Ireland being treated differently. But, but very simply put, we haven't seen the legislation yet. But, but the the, the, the speculation, of course, the concern is that the UK government want to apply UK state aid rules to Northern Ireland and, and in particular waive the requirement to have a, um, a summary exit customs declaration. You know, if this is indeed the case, then both of those potentially could violate the withdrawal agreement that was uh, negotiated with the EU. So if that then were to be the case and the government was serious in this regard, there could be a lot of knock-on effects there. You would effectively be breaking an international treaty. And, and, and furthermore, on top of that, you would effectively scupper a prospect of a trade agreement with the United States because the, the Democrats would use their numbers in Congress to veto such an agreement. Because part of the problem with it is that it would change the situation on the ground in Northern Ireland. And we know that nationalists in particular are very concerned about that. And potentially, I suppose, um, that there could be risks that the... Good Friday Accord breaking down over that. Yes, indeed. I mean, if, if you start uh, waiving requirements for customs declarations between Northern Ireland and Great Britain, um, as is currently agreed, then of course that increases the prospect of smuggling contraband across that, that uh, uh, you know, across the, between Northern Ireland and Britain, and um, that then would put in jeopardy the Good Friday Agreement because, of course, it would call into question then from the EU side the need to have a hard border in Northern Ireland you know, to come back to my point uh, that the Democrats and, and some Republicans in Congress have said that they, they won't countenance that arrangement because of course the US was a key signature to the Good Friday Agreement as well So wide-ranging implications domestically, what about just the fact of contra- contravening international law, what happens on a, a global basis to the UK if that is done? Well I mean that the, the UK standing of course would be severely tarnished by that, you know, uh, as well as scuppering any prospect of um, having a trade agreement with the EU, who of course still comprise half our trade, it would also severely undermine the prospect of reaching trade agreements with other countries. I mean, who wants to enter into negotiations in good faith with the countries that then reneges on any deal that's reached? I suppose the other wider issue in all this is, is this bluff? Because we were talking to Steve Bryan, Conservative MP for Winchester, earlier in the programme, and he was certainly suggesting it's to do with ramping up the heat, taking uh, ways of, of perhaps trying to get the EU to concede a bit more. I mean, is this a bluff, do you think? Well, I mean, there's certainly a lot of element of rhetorical uh, fluster about this. Is this a bluff? Well, realistically speaking, in terms of Johnson's stated deadline around the 15th of October, which of course is the, the EU summit meeting, um, I would find it very difficult to see that a, a trade agreement could be put in place by the end of the year if, if a legal text wasn't agreed by both sides by the middle of October, because in contrast to the withdrawal agreement, a new trade agreement, I think, would have to be uh, approved by all 27 member countries their parliaments in effect and also ratified by some regional parliaments. Uh, if you remember the EU-Canada trade agreement, was, it was nearly scuppered because the Wallonia regional parliament had strong objections to it. 
So it, it's a far more convoluted, drawn-out process, and it only takes one member country to get upset about a particular issue, whether it's fishing or whether it's Spain's concerns over coast sovereignty over Gibraltar, to, to scupper the whole process. But then Boris Johnson striking quite a positive note, saying that no deal would be a good outcome. Is there any truth in that? I mean, it certainly has its fans. Yeah, well, the latest economic study suggests that no deal would result in a 3.3 trillion hit to the UK economy. You know, the government's own analysis suggested that uh, over the course of time, the economy would take you know a nine percent hit with a no deal outcome. But that that obfuscates something else. The government's own stated objective is for a, a rather limited free trade agreement of the Canada style. Even that, according to their own analysis, would still result in a 5 to 7% hit to the economy over time. In contrast, a trade agreement with the United States, which seems to be the prize, would only add 0.16% to our GDP over time. So the economics of this say that, that Brexit you know, has no net economic benefit to the UK. It's never, to my mind, really been about the economics. It's been about the politics and you know, the, the core group of uh, supporters for Boris Johnson who had died in the wool Brexiteers. But let's take them on their own terms in terms of what they're saying, which is, as you say, there are trade deals out there, including the one with the United States. I mean, from what we know at the moment, how imminent are trade deals with other parts of the world? Well, I mean, there's been some talks around Japan, for example. But in terms of the United States, you know, it's a, it's a re-election year for Trump. So his first priority is to get re-elected. And then any, any semblance of a trade agreement would have to be approved by the U.S. Congress now. And that's even before the, the details come back to us. I, I don't think politically that one will see the light of day anytime soon. If we then digress on the United States, you know, the, 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 the appointment of Tony Abbott, ex-Australian Prime Minister, to the Board of Trade, uh, you know, I think suggests that the government seem to think they can join the Trans-Pacific Partnership. But again, if we look at trade with that part of the world, um, trade with Australia, for example, is only about 2% of our trade. The only significant trading partner in the Asia-Pacific is China. Now, uh, you know, the, the, the prospects of a trade agreement with China are problematic at best, given the security concerns, but the recent fiasco over dumping Huawei from, uh, uh, you know, effectively building part of the UK's 5G network, to me, suggests that the Chinese government would drive a very, very hard bargain to actually agree anything with the UK. So come the end of the year, I, I can very well see a scenario emerge where we, we don't have a trade agreement in place with the EU, but we don't have any significant trade agreements in place with any other country. Well, I mean, the one that it feels like a lot of people are pinning their hopes on is the one with the US, which you mentioned. If we get a Biden victory in November, does that change anything in terms of this deal? Well, I mean, if the UK, if the UK were to come with a begging bowl and say to a Biden presidency, you know, we will give you unfettered access to the NHS for your pharmaceutical companies, or we will agree to rewrite our agricultural and environmental standards to match yours, um, you know, that had to be like money for nothing. You know, there's no necessary reason why the US government would disagree to that. Um, I don't see a Biden presidency dramatically changing US agricultural standards or, or, or the dominance of their pharmaceutical companies in that regard. But I think in terms of the politics of a Biden presidency, I think they would be keen to rebuild bridges with the EU and, and, and re-embrace multilateralism in contrast to Trump. And therefore, I think the, the, the innate priorities of a, a trade agreement with a Brexit Britain would slip further down the list, you know, to paraphrase Barack Obama, almost to the back of the queue, as it were. And in just a couple of words, if you would, Alex, do you think a, a deal is less likely or more likely today than it was, say, last week? 
I, I think it's less likely. I think the most probable outcome at this, state is, uh, at this stage is no deal, and I think the prospects of that increasing. Having said that, of course, never say never. Even if we uh, crash out at the end of the year with no trade agreements in place, there, there will still be the need for, for patch-up uh, agreements to ensure that we continue to be covered by um, civil aviation safety standards with ESA, for example, right. or to keep the security cooperation going or um, data sharing. But they're not going to go away. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.